FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 125 of the podcast that goes snicked. It's a flashback episode, Wolverine Year 11 Part 1. I am your host, Jason. I love two young men, Venable. And I'm joined by special guest, a longtime friend of the show, Pat. All the best Canadians are short and hairy, eh? Gunter. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jason. This is awesome, man. Flashback! Flashback! I I want... Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, Pat. Thank you. This is a real thrill, Jason. Just a real thrill to be on a podcast, man. I always awesome. wanted to do it. And yeah. I was, uh, I'm kind of like, just for everyone, I'm kind of the super fan on the Facebook site. And I was just, yeah. uh, I'll be honest, I was kind of bugging Jason to be on the show. And here <laughs> I am. This is great. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, Pat is one of our uh, nearest and dearest fans of... Really kind of one of the first guys that started, like, talking. You know, like, a lot of people were listening, but he was the first one way back in the day that kind of, like, started interacting with the show. And so he's been a fan for a long time. He's from uh, up north in uh, Canada, helping our podcast continue to go international. So I need a new super fan in Australia and South America, and I'll have most of the continents covered <laughs> as far as guests. But yeah, but no, Pat, I've been meaning to have... Uh, had on for a while, but I knew kind of coming up this year, I was going to try to do a bunch of extra guests. And so I, I saved it up and here we are. Yeah, I'm from Canada, Jason. Uh, oh, sure. You know, it's like, it's no big deal to see Wolverine around up here. <laughs> like, you guys are all crazy about him down there, you know? Heck, <laughs> I just saw him at Timmy's the other day, grabbing a double-double in line, didn't think nothing of it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's right. You have our you're our official Wolverine spotter. Right. I'll keep you guys posted. You know, he's That's always right. there. It's no big deal. No big deal. Just see him all the time. You're you're the Alpha Flight paparazzi. <laughs> oh yeah, That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna talk about uh, the first little bit of the Wolverine Year Eleven. Uh, we have one issue of Uncanny. And some Alpha Flight stuff, and I'll throw in a couple of little other, other bonus things. And um, before we get to that, I do, since this is your uh, first time on the on the podcast, uh, kind of a tradition we have here, I kind of want to get your Wolverine origin story. So do you remember, like, the first time you ever saw the character, whether it was in comics or on TV or movie or whatever? I was So I was trying to think about that today, and... To be honest, I, I honestly can't remember the first intro to Wolf, okay. Wolverine. It was most likely the cartoon right. or the or the action figures. Ah. And I yeah, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't actually into comics uh, like that much as a kid. There just wasn't a comic book store in my small town, and it just wasn't a thing. To, wasn't really something you could get into in my town. Right. And uh, yeah, just the pretty much the cartoon, and I can't really remember which one came first, but uh, right. the cartoon was definitely just uh, my Bible growing up. I just <laughs> loved it. I would just watch it religiously every Saturday morning, and uh, yeah, I was just thoroughly obsessed with X-Men all through grade school. My parents couldn't get me to think about anything else, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was just a a fiend for the action figures. Actually, I was quite into the action figures. I think I had a. So was that the uh, was that the toy biz? Uh, I I couldn't tell you. 
Okay. Couldn't tell you. Was yeah, it the Wolverine I, that had think... the little mask that you can wear as a ring? No. Oh, no okay. I never heard of that right. one. No. Right. Just like that main line I think you'd see in the department store, whatever it's called. Yeah. And I think I probably had 40 or 50 of them in my heyday by the oh, end of them. Wow. And I think they're uh, awesome. in a, yeah, I really had had quite a bit <laughs> and they're i think they're all in a tupperware in my at my parents house there so whenever oh. i go home on the weekend even though i'm 30 and then i bring them out and play with them of course you gotta you gotta shoot me some pics <laughs> of them so i can put them on the facebook page yeah for i would sure. i would we'll love do. to see some of those i haven't seen a lot of those in a long time yeah really. and then after that i i got quite a bit into the marvel overpower card game okay do you that ring a bell at all not at all but i'm sure it was cool <laughs> Yeah, I used to play that, and uh, I remember just one time in grade six, I was a real hyper little uh, shit in school <laughs> when I was littler, and uh, my teacher said, I remember my teacher saying if I was good for a month, he'd give me the Wolverine character card, and it was harder to get the character cards, not just like the moving action cards, and oh, okay. uh, yeah, and I did for a month, I stayed at the office, and the uh, principal's office, and I, he actually gave it to me. <laughs> that really stuck out with me when I was writing stuff down this morning, trying to think of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and when I was a kid, I remember at my friend's house, we snuck into his big bro's room before I knew too much about it. I'd just seen a bit of the few of the, uh, I think this is few of the animated episodes, and I remember just sneaking into his room, his big brother's room, and we got into his lockbox, and my friend's like, look at this, look at this, come over, and we found all these Age of Apocalypse issues. Oh, nice. The ones by Joe Man? Probably. I'm not I think sure. so. yeah. what that means to be honest. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we... Found all those. I remember. Yeah, I remember to this day. He had the number one, the alpha one, and uh, okay. yeah. Even though I was just a kid and I didn't really know how important that was, the art just really left an impression on me. Yeah. And I was over the years before I got into uh, heavily into comics. Like five years ago, I even before that, I was really into Age of Apocalypse. I was just always crazy about Age of Apocalypse. Couldn't get enough of that. And uh, I had the four trade paperbacks. I remember buying those and nice. I would just read those over and over over the years while I was going to college. Nice. So even for the, yeah. And then I, when I was done school, I didn't have a job lined up, unfortunately. So I was uh, back living at home with my, with the parents, uh, mm -hmm. the hometown, which is not too great. But uh, I was there for a while before I got this new job and moved away. So that's when I got uh, heavily into comics here. And that's when I know all my stuff and my Wolverine resume is I, and my X-Men resume is I've read everything up to uh, 1995 once. Wow. But I got to the, I got to the 90s and I, I tell you those did me in and I just couldn't take, I couldn't take it anymore and I just, uh, <laughs> this isn't what I love. I don't like this. <laughs> it's just shaking my hand and my hand, my face, my hands and I just couldn't take it. And I started back at uh, 1963, number one. Wow. And I'm maybe, uh, or I wouldn't even say halfway, working my way back up slowly, but yeah, enjoying it. You ought to skip back when you, whenever you get to it. Uh, instead of pulling out in the 90s, maybe just skip up to like, I don't know, 99, 2000, somewhere around there. You can just kind of skip those late 90s. <laughs> right, eh? I was, think, yeah. I was thinking maybe that was another way I could have done it now that it's taking quite a while to catch back up. But, ah, you'll oh, be fine. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the red. Yeah. And to add this on to my resume, my Wolverine resume, and uh, besides reading up to 1995, I'd also like to uh, say that I personally, in my opinion, own the best Wolverine t-shirt ever, which <laughs> I think you've seen Jason on Facebook there. I'm pretty uh, damn proud of that one. Pretty <laughs> badass. And I, I actually own three Wolverine t-shirts. So, uh, nice. Yeah, that's, you actually have one more than me. I only have two oh, at yeah. the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw a really cool brown one that a guy was wearing. I actually saw a guy wearing one at IHOP. And I like, oh, yeah. I gotta find that. I gotta track that one down. 
<laughs> oh, right. Should have no. just snagged it right there and then. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, hey, <laughs> I like your shirt. <laughs> All right. So my sister used to date this guy. Um, I won't say his name. And, um, okay. He was kind of a, a little bit thuggish. He kind of acted like a pothead. And, uh, and one time they were uh, at my sister's church camp. And they had gone on a thing. And one of my friends uh, called me and told me this story. And so uh, he called me and said, Hey, dude, your sister's boyfriend like was sitting in the in the auditorium and this guy ran by and and the and her boyfriend like grabbed his arm and said, Hey, I like your shirt. How about you give it to me? <laughs> <laughs> and this guy was like and my, my sister's boyfriend at the time was like 6'3 you know big just burly guy I think this kid was like maybe in 7th grade and just terrified him <laughs> but anyway so I always think of that whenever anyone says anything about taking a shirt I always think of that okay. hey why don't you give it to me <laughs> <laughs> oh if you, they're hard to find if you see a good one man right, don't let it go yeah. by the advantages of being a big, no-necked bruiser. <laughs> I I don't have that problem. I was I was tiny growing up. Oh, uh, I was as well. Actually, I was the smallest kid in my class, and then jumped no. up in grade eleven. There, caught oh, up with everyone. There you go. So let's uh let's jump into some comics, hey? All right, let's do it. All right. Well, first up, we have a barely there Wolverine appearance in um Uncanny X Men number one eighty seven. This is Wraith Kill, uh, written by Chris Claremont, art by John Romita Jr. and Dan Green, letters by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Glennis Ween. And on the cover, we have Storm turning into a nasty-looking slug alien, and we have Rogue and Colossus fighting some monsters. It's an okay cover. It's actually it's very reminiscent of a much better cover by Paul Smith on um, Uncanny X-Men 165, the uh, part of the Brood saga. So kind of the same thing as of Storm transforming into something ugly. Uh, what do you think of this cover, Pat? Uh, not too much, to be honest. I, I'll just be honest. I wrote down cover sucks in point form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Uh, Rogue looks ridiculous. And I don't know what's going on with Colossus, but... Colossus is uh, just the worst. That's the worst thing on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when we left off in on Kenny X-Men, we, you know, Wolverine wasn't in the last few issues. Um, we kind of talked about last time with Cameron that Storm, about Storm losing her powers. Basically, Forge kind of like kidnapped her to help heal her. Because, you know, that works. Anyway, so we start off this issue with Storm has, has gotten in a fight with Forge. And she is leaving. But the dire wraith, the bad guys from Rom Space Knight, they attack his base at a Eagle Plaza in Dallas, Texas. Represent um, my hometown. Stormin. I don't know. Is it Naze or Naze? Do you know? I usually say uh, Naze. Okay. Yeah. So Storm and Naze go to save Forge. We get our one movie in a flashback. Flashback of him. Flashback. Te- <laughs> of him teaching Storm to shoot a gun. There's lots of fights, and uh, we get some quote-unquote other takes over Storm and Forge. The Wraith press their advantage, but Forge's weapons protect him. A Wraith switches places with Storm to try to trick Forge, but he calls on quote-unquote forgotten magic abilities to determine the truth and slays Wraith Storm. 
Rogue and Colossus show up to finish the fight. Rom and Starshine, whoever that is, also show up, but they're just holograms, tricking the Wraith into defeat. Then some shadow monsters eat our heroes. To be continued. <laughs> so the only thing, <laughs> I had a couple of things to say, and feel free to jump in whenever you want. I thought on page three, there's a part where a, a Wraith kind of eats a security guard. Oh, yeah, shoots the little drill tongue straight into his temple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I thought if this was the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, that security guard would be the Stan Lee cameo. Oh, the... <laughs> right, right. I see that now, yeah. <laughs> um, Good one. Let's see. There's there's some cool panels. Um, the end of page six, where Naze shoots the shotgun through the window, and you see him through the window, like through the hole in the window. I thought that was a nice panel. Yeah, that's cool. I see it now. That looks good, yeah. On page 8, Storm wishes that Wolverine was here. I was like, damn straight. (laughs) With Uh, uh, Wolverine's uh, return of his terrible hair and kind of weird-looking Ramita drawing, like you were saying there, the last uh, Ramita flashback. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) What is with that hair? (laughs) He's still kind of finding his his character, I guess. Wolverine's wearing like... I think it's just a shirt and jeans, but it looks like an all-black jumpsuit. Um, yeah, a onesie with a belt. I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. Some coveralls. That's what it is. It's some black coveralls. I do like the panel, though, of Storm shooting the gun and then kind of fades into, like, big eyes. That's a nice touch, I thought. That was interesting. Of course, Naze is a... He's hot for Storm. There's another cool panel of Naze walking down a dark hallway with a shotgun. Most of the best panels I thought actually involved Naze. I was going to ask you, how much other Marvel stuff do you read of this time period? Oh, um, so I've read the uh, X-Force, or New Mutants, X-Force, X-Factor, uh, Wolverine, Okay. Uh, up you... to ni- 1995, yeah. yeah. Have you read much Thor? No. No, okay. I read, uh, right. I think I read the first one, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's Thor. <laughs> that's uh, good enough for me. I like the movies. I'm pretty hit and miss on the comics. Um, but I was going to ask because, all right, so when we did the uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries, there's a right, scene I just, where... just listen right before this. <laughs> oh, great, yeah. So there's a scene in there where it starts snowing when it's not supposed to, and there's a little asterisk for the editor's note that says... Uh, Due to the storm, uh, what was it, frozen casket or whatever, like it's snowing all over the world. I was wondering when it started snowing here, if that was part of that, but there was no editor's notes. I, I wasn't sure. I, oh, uh, I, I actually thought I, was it raining at the start heavily? Yes. I, yeah. I thought that, yeah, at the start it's raining, it's like torrential downpour before right. the alien even pops into the story and she's just outside leaving. Right. And then she's up on the roof and it's crazy snowing. But I I thought that was always like, even when she had her powers taken away by Forge's gun, I thought that was, I um, thought she always like, they were always trying to hint, hint that she still could subconsciously control her power when okay. she was like, feeling extreme emotions and I, right. I thought I took it as that what do you think Jason it's very possible I know Claremont had done that before I don't remember what issue it was but when Dr. Doom trapped her in that statue right yeah uh, exactly. and then she like subconsciously controlled the weather there so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's definitely a, a, a good theory a possibility I'm trying to remember how it turns out I haven't read a lot of these mid 80s in a long time so I don't know we'll see oh, I did like on page 15 Storm talks about that how she she left the wraith outside to die and Wolvie would be proud. I was like, thumbs up, <laughs> he would be proud. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. 
All right. Anything else you want to say on this one? Yeah, just uh, I think we're on about the same level. Just wrote down aliens are aliens are dumb looking. Uh, who <laughs> who are they and where did they come from? Oh, no idea. Really oh, so know? they're from Thor. No, all right. So these oh. guys are from Rom Space Knight, and that oh, was okay. it. That was a comic series, kind of like the Micronauts that was Marvel licensed. It was based on a toy. Okay, right. And so basically the Wraith are just these evil magic aliens and they go around trying to conquer worlds. And um, I don't know if you remember, uh, listeners, but a little while back we had a flashback where I talked about an issue where Rom that the X-Men were in. And I gotta say, X-Men made Rom better. Rom and the Wraith in my X-Men book does not make the X-Men better. <laughs> like it's not an even trade. So, um, what do you think of the art in this one overall? I actually think the art's, like, really good. Yeah. Yeah, with the first first couple of pages when she's uh, out in the snow look really good. That's probably my first favorite panels of the whole comic. Right. Yeah, but it's uh, it's up to slash above par art for sure. Just one thing with Ramita, I always notice, or maybe especially on women, they always has to have, like, a couple lines on the cheek, like, going towards the mouth on Storm all the time, the kind of women, just right. uh just always has a couple like hatch and lines going towards the mouth on the cheeks. Yeah. Looks kind of weird. <laughs> and uh, what else? All right. I, one interesting thing I saw, I picked up one little info nugget. Uh, you said Naze is Forge's foster dad. Oh, is that like for real? Yeah. It said oh, okay. that in the, in one of the panels here. I, I don't think I ever took note of that uh, before. Oh, I forgot that if I knew it. I thought Naze was pretty sweet. Um, he was just kind of shooting shit and taking names. I, I thought he was pretty badass. Yeah, and, and trying to hit on Goro yeah. while he's at it, <laughs> even though he's uh, pretty up there in age. Right. You gotta love an old man who's confident with him, and he's just a badass. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and just in general, like, you'll see if I wasn't too crazy about this in a minute when I get my reading, but uh, yeah, just in general, like, I find with comics like mainly i'm just into x-men i'm not into like everything else really just i'm uh, pretty narrowed on that and i know right, right away stuff i'm not gonna like when i look at it like i tend not to like mystical like mystical and magical and medieval stuff right. whenever that's pot starting to pop in like <laughs> on the on the annuals with the new mutants when they're always doing medieval stuff right. i just or mystical with with uh iliana i just like yeah just keep it like that doesn't seem like X-Men stuff to me. That seems right. like extra other stuff. I'm not really interested. I just like just normal mutants kind of in the normal world, battling other mutants, etc. Yeah. <laughs> Certain writers can do it good. I'm not, the magic stuff's not my favorite stuff either. I will say, you know, speaking of Naze being badass, I really like seeing Storm be a badass without her powers. And that yeah, was really sure. cool, but I would have preferred a better story to see it in. Like, instead of having her fight these lame, like, magic slugs, like... Yeah, throw away, throw away alien people just fodder to kill. Yeah, yeah, let's see Storm be badass with no powers against, I don't know, I don't know who you would put in their place, really anybody, and I'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, not, uh, not that crazy about the issue, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so what do you want to grade on Kenny X-Men 187? I would give this one... Because of those stupid aliens, two brittle, dull bone claws. <laughs> All right. Um, I gave it three out of six claws just because I enjoyed Naze and I enjoyed the way Storm was. But I agree with <laughs> you. The aliens are dumb. So cool. Yep. Well, that is Uncanny X Men 187. 187 on a mother cop. 
<laughs> oh shit! <laughs> just kidding. I don't. I don't endorse violence against police officers. <laughs> it's just a pop culture reference. Leave it alone. Asterisk. Editor's note. So, uh, after we recorded, but before I finished editing, I read Uncanny X-Men 188, and they actually uh, do mention the source of the snowstorm, because, hey, guess what? It's still snowing in that issue. Yeah, they they give a little note that it is part of that Thor uh, frozen brisket, or whatever that story's called. So, while I think Pat and I had a valid point about storms, subconscious powers that is not what they were trying to show at least not at that time so um just wanted to clarify that all right so next up we're going to talk about a couple of alpha flight issues the team from pat's homeland we have a uh, alpha flight 16 and 17 which have wolverine kind of in one and then very much so in the other so um so number 16 john byrne does the writing and the pencils Bob Wyacek does the inks, Andy Yankus does the colors, Rick Parker does the letters, and the cover is by John Byrne. Uh, what do we got on the cover there? Okay, so we got, uh, there's, so the, the big baddie of this issue is, uh, to my enjoyment, a guy named uh, the Master of the World <laughs> is his name. I, like, literally, on a list of best villain names slash worst. <laughs> Right, and, yeah. uh, Slash worse, definitely. <laughs> and Puck is uh, jumping to drop kicking him in the head, and uh, Neymar is breaking out of a glass tube, uh, yeah. like prison cell. Cool. And this is uh, this chapter is and forsaking all others. And it starts off on a big splash page, and I just like to thank John Byrne for a big splash page of a giant fish submarine <laughs> with uh, the the. Uh, master of the world i'm gonna keep forgetting that <laughs> master of the world uh you can see him standing there and the teeth of the fish yes. are like uh, the glass to see through i'm gonna so I just, i'm gonna rechristen him uh, master dumbass we'll just call him that from now on uh, okay sure <laughs> <laughs> and then uh in this in the sub the master of the world is uh talking to locked up puck and neymar puck fakes his death to make Master of the World opens the cell to check on him. Puck is, of course, playing possum and attacks him. And while he is down, uh, opens Namor's, Namor's uh, cell. Also, Puck has to uh, break a fit, giant fish tank to get water <laughs> to revive Namor. And uh, but to do so, he rips. I'd like to uh, bold that word. Rips off Master of the World's uh, helmet to throw at the water to have something to smash it with and right. uh there's a cool splash page of master of the world with a torn up uh skin ripped off his face because the helmet was apparently literally attached to his skin i right. guess that's nasty and uh the ship gets a hole in it uh and this locked up beastie it's not worth not even worth explaining uh gets <laughs> out and namor gets to the surface before they drowned and goes back for marina again i wrote not worth it not worth explaining <laughs> uh gives he gives up and leaves and marina was comes out from hiding on the shore with puck and decides she's not to fit to live with people and walks off with sad hulk music playing out <laughs> into the lake dun, into the dun, lake dun, in a sad dun. scene <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah Underwater marinara sauce. That's what I called her. Yeah. Yeah. So basically they're just, they're wrapping up the story of marinara's, uh, 
Origin. Uh, th- think it's I, I'm I'm not to interrupt I, on your show, Jason. I'm pretty sure it's Marina. <laughs> I don't think it's Marinara, my friend. Ah, <laughs> uh, fine. I gotta say something on that one. Oh, you wanted it to be sure. <laughs> I thought you were honestly thought it was that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, they're just wrapping that up. Yeah, and the Break. listeners won't even uh, know what that all means if you didn't read the issue before. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but we did. The reason we talked about this issue, we do have a little segue in the middle where Wolverine comes to visit um, Heather. Um, Heather, uh, shit. Um, Oh, uh, um, Heather. Max something. Hudson. Heather Hudson. Yeah, yes, that's right. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, she's in the hospital. Uh, She got her leg scratched up by the evil octopus that was attacking Neymar. Of course, remember her husband, Guardian, just died. And uh, Wolverine uh, comes to visit her in the hospital. And that's the only Wolverine scene we get in this one. Did you, uh, just real quickly, did you happen to see the, the other two pages with the, I thought it was, that was actually my favorite part of it. That's why I bring it up with the the guy, the red-headed guy in the wheelchair. Oh, yes, uh, Box. Yeah, that was like, that was my favorite couple of pages, even though it was just really... Uh, random you don't really know what's going on but it was right. really well drawn pages in his room with the bookshelves and all the little gears in the boxes that really caught my eye yeah that was cool nice nice art so uh i didn't want to point out when wolverine so heather's yelling in the hospital about how it doesn't make any sense that her husband died and so our first wolverine panel he says there ain't no sense to it babe there's never any sense to dying there's just death I thought that was a pretty badass Wolverine line. I also wanted to point out that he only knew, at this point, only knew Puck by reputation. They never met. And right. I, f- I thought they would have met by then, but that was interesting. Yeah. And then Wolverine admits that he can just sneak in and out of Canada. Yeah, she's <laughs> amazed She's amazed that he got there, and he says uh, he's got ways to get across the border no one knows about. That's right. And that's that's it with the wolf. It's kind of a strangely short scene. It just kind of cuts off right there. Well, it's funny, and we'll, we'll talk about more next issue, but the scene didn't really need to be in this issue. They could have saved it. We get more of the same just stretched out next issue. It was um, just the intro to the conversation that really takes place in the next one. Right. But, uh, yeah, I guess they just wanted to get it started or get the wheels moving. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Burn... I guess, you know, he spent a lot of time drawing X-Men with Claremont. I think when he went on to write Alpha Flight, he took a lot of stuff he learned from Claremont. So a lot of these little kind of subplots interspersed are very Claremontian. What do you think of the art overall in this one? I thought it was uh, really good, yeah. Yeah, and you just reminded me, John Byrne, like, right there. John Byrne, like, uh, he was just amazing for those... Uh, his really short run on X-Men. What was it, just 20 issues? Something like on that, X-Men? yeah. That's, that's yeah, long so nowadays. Like, <laughs> people, like, I'm assuming I'm not the only one, and people are like, whoa, this these were amazing 20 issues. Like, it yes. sucks that he's just stopped all of a sudden. Like, where can I get some more of this guy? And, and you know, people don't, not that many people are into Alpha Flight, but hey, if you want to see some more John Byrne, like where he carried on right after those 20 issues with yeah. his art, it's right, it's right here to see. He went to Alpha Flight and also Fantastic Four he was doing at this time, which I haven't read uh, much of his Fantastic Four. That is on my to-do list. <laughs> um, right, right. I agree. I love John Byrne. I didn't think this was quite the top of his game, but it was still pretty good. And the story I thought was kind of meh. 
I like the little Wolverine segue and the box part, like you said, was pretty cool. But the whole part with marinara sauce, um, I wasn't <laughs> wasn't into really. Yeah, anything with mar- uh, marinara sauce, Marita, I just <laughs> could not care less <laughs> right. when I was reading these, even before I was came on here. Oh, yeah, uh, just an interesting thing I saw, and it said, uh, did you see it said there, Wolverine was telling Heather that he almost crossed paths with Puck when he was a government agent, I believe they said in Russia, I might have got the Russian wrong, but, uh, and said Puck, he was a government agent, and Puck was an independent. Yeah, whatever, yeah, I thought that was very uh, interesting. It, yeah, so uh, it's just always exciting when you get a little nugget of more of Wolverine's history. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. I always enjoy these kind of... Because, you know, we're still, at this point in time, we're still building the Wolverine mythos. And he's still yeah. very much like a blank canvas as far as his past. So it's always fun to get the little tidbits. And right. uh, the, my first time reading through uh, X-Men in general, like, it's just so exciting when you, you want to know more about Wolverine. And he just feels palpable and you just, every little nugget you get, you're just, oh, you read it over a couple times and you file it away. And you're... Right in your head for like trying to fill in all the holes in the background what came first and what didn't yeah definitely well uh, let's go ahead and skip over to 17 because this is definitely more wolverine centric uh real fast when you want to grade alpha flight 16 uh my so my favorite part was the wheelchair and uh uh least was the man of war stuff for sure our uh, man of the wo- master of the world sorry master dumbass <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> and uh, not that much happened actually in the whole thing. It's pretty slow, and I give it uh, three claws. Okay, I actually went a little down from you this time. We're switching places. I gave Alpha Flight 16 two out of six claws. Fair okay. enough. And yeah. all of that was for the art and for Wolverine's one line. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, well, cool. Uh, 17 is a little bit different. Uh, Joe Rosen is the letterer this time. <laughs> And uh, but the cover is still by John Byrne. This cover is a nice homage to uh, Uncanny X Men 109 by Dave Cockrum, which was the oh. first appearance of Guardian. And uh, Byrne pretty much just redrew it his style. What do you think of this? I thought, yeah, it's great. It's kind of like a takeoff of that issue where this kind of this is the B side of the story where when this yes. fight happened in X-Men, right? That's a great way of saying it. That it, it is, it's the flip side. It's the B side of, of issue 109 from Uncanny X-Men. And, um, yeah. Yeah, but I love this cover. I, I loved I, it. I, I loved Cockrum's cover on 109, and I love this one just as much. I thought this cover, yeah, this cover's great. Uh, looks like Wolverine's taking like a full <laughs> Iron Man level punch, and the only thing keeping his neck from breaking is the adamantium yes very much it's pretty is like look at his neck <laughs> yeah it's pretty savage <laughs> yep <laughs> he's getting his ass whooped all right so what do we got in number 17 so so to give people like just to start off with a little framework of the issue like this whole issue is uh heather and wolverine in the hospital room uh that's what's actually happening and it's just all they're reminiscing and it's all the pages are jumping to flashbacks and different scenes yeah so just give people frame framework to start with there and uh starts off vindicator's trying on his new battle suit uh with canadian flag there and he gets a call from like the guy that got his tie cut off by wolverine in giant size i love that that was that was pretty cool burn through that in there that was so great (laughs) So apparently, so apparently, uh, this is in the past, and he's like, this is right when Wolverine cut off the tie, and just like 
Wolverine walked from the room with Professor and he picked up the phone so that just to give people a timeline. And it's late at night in Ottawa and he gets that call and then uh, work demands late at night that he come in to the office and uh, there in the office in uh, Parliament Hill, I believe in Ottawa. Anyone can Google a picture of that. I've been there many times. <laughs> and uh, there he's forced by his boss to go get Wolverine yeah. for, uh, for leaving. Switch to the scenes to X-Men and the mansion and Storm and Colossus and Banshee and Moira and Wolverine head out to the hangout of the lake. Yeah. And uh, there at the lake, uh, then the next panel shows a ship hovering slowly, low to the ground, and uh, Vindicator, pretty damn cool, jumps out of the ship and dives into and through the ground. That's apparently, they're trying to give you the impression that's how powerful this uh, battlesuit is. Yeah, that's so, crazy. And then, and then Wolverine is hunting a deer in the woods, which I just loved, and uh, suddenly Vindicator or Guardian or uh, Weapon Alpha... <laughs> <laughs> Take your <Bert>. pick. <laughs> yeah, burst, literally bursts out of the ground, and uh, big fight starts and uh it goes on for a while and uh it shows like a uh, again like a b-side of uh moira getting hit in the head there and uh and then vindicator is fought back and retreats and uh back at the hospital puck walks in and meets wolverine for the first time apparently and they seem yeah. to hit it off and really throw it up i'd say right yeah and puck backed by wolverine convinces heather to be the new leader of alpha flight and that's it yeah, very cool. I liked that there was another reference early on that uh, uh, Mac intended for Wolverine to lead Alpha Flight. Right? That was his big plan. Um, we kind of had that hint. That gets hinted at every now and then, these Alpha Flight issues. There's also a great quote that he says about Wolverine that, that's one of my favorites. He says, so this is Guardian talking about Logan. And he says, okay. his idea of subtlety is to use one of his claws instead of <laughs> all six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. Then did you catch this? Um, on page three, he talks about, they're talking about the reasons they, they deserve to get Wolverine back, the Canadian government, that is. And they said, they talk about all the millions of dollars they spent to turn him into an unstoppable weapon. And they mention the years of therapy they've paid for. So I thought that was interesting. So we don't get a whole lot of that later that Wolverine had this like extensive like psychological therapy. So Yeah, yeah. It made me think it's yeah, it's hard to put that all together in his background. I'm trying always trying to fit stuff into time wise right, what took yeah. place. Some some so, of that uh, stuff definitely gets retconned. <laughs> are they say, are they saying that uh so first off, like who like the team or the government that uh, Alpha Flight works for is that Department H, and is that who did like the Weapon X experiment? Am I correct? Well, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. So I think some of that gets changed later, but basically they're saying that I think what how it stands now is that the Canada Department H funded Weapon X. They didn't know all some of the other bad stuff that was going on with it. So that's kind of where we are now. I think back then it was just a very simple, the government paid for it and that's what you got. Um, now that over the years, Weapon X has become this kind of vile program, we've had a little separation of, oh, well, they did some stuff like with the funding they weren't supposed to and stuff like that. But I've, o I've only read the 1995 spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I mean, you've read the, uh, the actual, the, the Barry Windsor Smith Weapon X stuff, right? From Marvel Comics Presents? Jason, have I read that? I read it every night before bed. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So they, they <laughs> hinted that with the Dr. Cornelius and all that stuff. So, um, I always, I always take it like, because they always present it like uh, that experiment happened, and I feel like Heather and James didn't know about that, and they yes. were supposed to have found him wandering wild in the woods. Yeah, right. All, all, and taking and, him in when he's in like a animal state, and mm-hmm. like uh, taught him back to become normal and relax, and right. Yeah. And that would fit. Yes, that that's definitely how it is like now. So I don't understand why then. I guess to get back to your original question, it doesn't make sense that the government would feel like they paid for all that because they wouldn't have anymore. It makes me curious what the intention was back in 85 when they were writing this, that maybe the intention was that, that the government paid for the Weapon X program, but that gets changed. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I like seeing you talk about Wolverine meeting Puck. I, I enjoyed that. Puck is probably my favorite Alpha Flight guy. Um, him and Northstar are my two favorites. I did... <laughs> we, you skipped over, and rightfully so. There's a part where uh, Sasquatch is trying to heal Aurora. Right. And I she's, just she's, uh, thought I'd admit that whole part. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only reason I want to bring it up, because she's in this naked test tube with her little ankle bracelet for some reason still on. And uh, there's a part where... They they start running the test and they show this panel where she's screaming on page twenty one if you have the comic and yep. I wrote in my notes screaming vagina. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> Jason, we don't uh, we don't talk like that in Canada. Huh? <laughs> Just kidding. And I like Heather uh, taking over the leadership of Alpha Flight. I thought that was really cool, kind of in memory of her husband. And plus, Heather's just a really nice, like, strong, kick-ass woman. I like that. She is, yeah. But uh, I will say, uh, like, they're so excited about it. And uh, the next day, or the first battle when they're training, they'll realize uh, she has no powers and she can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't read 18 yet. (laughs) Uh, Small small details, small details. Right. Cool. So what did you think of the art in this one? Oh, I thought it was uh, great. Yeah, just... uh, Totally loved it, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, I did too. This is more of the, the level of John Byrne I'm used to. I thought it was really fantastic. Um, yeah, this this compared to the last one makes the last one seem like nothing. Yeah, and I thought, see, that's what I was talking about. Like, 16 is good, but 17 blows it out of the water. <laughs> yeah, so. and uh, there was some interesting stuff in there. It said, uh, one thing, did you catch it? It said, Vindicator was the one who sent for the professor to come and to like oh yeah yeah i made a note about that giant sides yeah so so. what so he's working for the alpha flight team so why is he sending for professor to come and possibly take him away i don't know if he knew the intention was like like it was a recruiting thing i think he was hoping professor x could help him and you gotta wonder because we don't know from giant size what professor x said we just know he's there and we don't know why he went Right. There, actually. Yeah, so, he could have been called by, like, he could have saw maybe an ad in a magazine <laughs> for the <laughs> Professor X saying, like, he can come and do therapy on him. Maybe he just, right. that's why he called him, or... Yeah, mm. what, and that fits Professor X kind of being, you know, his old old school issues where he's kind of a manipulative dick sometimes. And um, yeah. it makes sense that he would have lied to Guardian and said, yeah, I'm going to come, you know. We'll have some sessions with this guy. Oh, I'm here now. Okay, hey, Wolverine, come home with me. <laughs> yeah, that's the only 
kind of thing I can take that as that yeah. makes any sense. <laughs> Doesn't really quite add up, but oh well. Oh, I like when Wolverine said, "I, I resigned." Puck or Heather, I cut my ties and Jason's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like holy. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Nice play and, on uh, words by John Byrne. And uh, my favorite part was probably the page of him hunting the deer. The art in that is just amazing. Yeah. That's probably my number one favorite page. And uh, yeah, I just love that whole fight. What did you think of the fight, Jason? Oh, I loved it. I mean, it was it was pretty much blow by blow from the original issue, but it was nice to see Burns' take on it. Though he did, I want to look up, I think he did 109 himself. Let me see here. And that, that Colossus punch where there's the three panels of him, he's got human skin, and then he's transforming Kirby Crackle, and then boom, connecting. Like, that was just fantastic. Yes. One thing about comics I'll say I don't, I'm not crazy about is uh, excessive filler text. I met as one of my uh, oh. pet peeves of comics for sure and uh, right. I just I can always there's always many spots in comics I'd say where excessive text like kind of takes away from it actually like no text when Vindicator is diving into the ground would have been way better if you just seen that because like if you think about what's physically happening right. like it doesn't need some uh, some uh, like jovial banter in his head he's like I'm trying out my battle suit for the first time I hope it works but I also hope I don't hurt anyone you know just that kind of text when uh, there's a man in a battle suit jumping from a plane diving into and through the ground <laughs> just have no text on the page doesn't need doesn't need it takes away from the like harsh grittiness of what's happening and that's kind of what I like in comics I kind of like to be a little more adult and hard and gritty that's what uh, holds my attention. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm looking at the credits here. Does Terry Austin and Chris Claremont get credits for these flashback pages? Were these panels just from the original issue? Like, did they just reprint them? I'm not sure. Because Byrne the, did the Are you art. saying some of the panels are exactly the same in the X-Men I, one? Is I, that I, what I, you're well, saying? I believe so. One thing that, that tripped me up, I remember this Banshee face. Where he jumps out of the water and he's all super mad looking. I hear you, yeah. Like, I remember that panel and some of this other stuff. I think some of this is just lifted from the source material itself. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and then back in the hospital when Puck was talking to Wolverine, he said he was in, uh, they were in possibly, or he said, was that you in Marasebo? Wolverine was asking Puck. He yes. said, that was you. that was you, wasn't it? So uh, just a little hint there to something. I'm not quite sure at this moment what totally means. but right, Let's, uh, let's and, uh, Google Marisabo and see what it says. <laughs> and while you're doing that, uh, it says, and or Wolverine, I believe, says to Puck, I recognize your signature in that mess. And uh, I just like to picture in my head for fun that uh, Puck's signature was him uh, just cartwheeling around in a big <laughs> fight and just cartwheeling around and doing a goofy cartwheel and kicking people in the face. And that's his big uh, signature famous thing from this uh, top secret government fight that happened in Russia. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I like that too. Let's see, Maracaibo is... A city in northwestern Venezuela. There were rebellions ah. back then, so yeah. Okay. So they had some okay. South American uh, adventures together. Or right. Not together, but opposite each other, I guess. Okay. Well, you'll see some of those when you start reading the uh, uh, solo series. So yeah. You can go down there. Yeah, you can't wait. 
So um, I can't wait for that and the Weapon X. Yeah. That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else on number 17? Uh, I think that's it besides my reading and stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, when did you grade number 17 of Alpha Flight? So I'd say this is my favorite comic of uh, all of them we read here for this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I agree. recommend... Uh, I recommend, highly recommend people check it out. Uh, at least the uh, X-Men related pages for sure. A bit too much uh, excessive, pointless text in it. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan for it, but still, I'd uh, give it five solid adamantium claws. Yeah, I also gave it five out of six claws. I really enjoyed seeing a story we already knew from. Heather and James' side. Like, that was really cool. And it really, you know, they keep telling us that James is, like, the most important person to Wolverine. But this kind of helped show us, like, what some of that meant. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so, there yeah. was, the, oh, yeah, there was all those, that talk about uh, how they were, Wolverine was actually, that was, he'd probably say James was his best friend. Yeah, so that was really yeah. cool. So we're both on the same page. Alpha Flight 17, five out of six claws. Okay, so next up, we're going to do a uh, two-issue limited series, X-Men and Alpha Flight, otherwise known as Canadian Asgard. (laughs) This is a a mini-series by Chris Claremont and Paul Smith. So the return of Paul Smith to the podcast that goes snicked. haven't seen him since he left Uncanny. So it'll be good to see his art again. Um, Yeah, but basically it's just a little two-issue team-up. Issue one, like I said, is written by Chris Claremont. Uh, art by Paul Smith. Bob Wyachek does the inks. Tom Orzakowski does the letterer. And Glennis Oliver now does the colors. So I guess that uh, that divorce has gone through. <laughs> no longer Glennis Ween. She's now back to Glennis Oliver. And a based on premise there at the bottom, eh? And the senti. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so based on a premise by Jim Shooter, Anne Nascenti, and Denny O'Neill, who were the Marvel editors at the time. Shooter, of course, just coming off his wacky Secret Wars. Anne Nascenti, um, I guess she must have been good back then. I don't really like her that much. but uh, <laughs> And, of course, Denny O'Neill, the legendary Batman writer, who was also doing Daredevil stuff. So, yeah, so that's three pretty big names for the time. Yeah, definitely. So I guess they came up with, like, the outline, or they said, Hey, Chris, write this. (laughs) And he did. (laughs) But before we get to what he wrote, these issues do come with a wraparound cover by Paul Smith. Uh, The first one features the front of the cover. Uh, Looks like uh, Thor's Bridesmaid. Or um, as guardian prom dress, it looks like she's setting fire to Cyclops. Uh, we'll find out that's not really the case, but that's what it looks like on the cover. And the X Men and Alpha Flight are running to his rescue. On the back side of the wraparound, we have actually a pretty cool pose by Shaman. Sasquatch looks weird, and we have a giant Loki head and what looks like a floating castle. So that's what it looks like on the cover. What did you think of this uh, wraparound cover, Pat? Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like them both, especially it's just cool that they're a wraparound. I probably like the second one more than the first, but yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Can, can you name uh, the other two people in the back part there? Okay, I noticed, we have... I noticed you skipped those. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Puck, who is one oh. of my... Him and North Star, I think I said earlier, are my favorite Alpha Flightians. And then 
uh, we have a Talisman, who I just read her first appearance. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, which... Um, test me. I thought maybe you forgot her. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, I don't really like her outfit, but that's John Byrne's fault. <laughs> yeah. You can't hang that on Paul Smith. It is interesting, because uh, you mentioned when we talked about Alpha Flight, uh, what did we do, 16, right? No, 17. You mentioned that in 18, that they would find out that Heather has no powers. But what you forgot to tell me, the best part of that issue is that Shaman has a f- battle with scrambled eggs. He does? <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't think of that uh, issue right now, Jason. Oh. <laughs> well, it's like poltergeist style. It's like this ancient, like, Native American... Actually, I think it's a Canadian, like, one of the great beasts or whatever. Right, yeah. And someone, the Ravager or Conqueror or whatever. Anyway, he's trying to take over this old man, but to do as a distraction, he uh, haunts a bowl of, or a pan of eggs. Oh, and, like, okay. Like, fights Shaman with fried eggs. It's really funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. We're, we're going to talk about X-Men and Alpha Flight number one. And uh, in this, basically, Scott and Madeline are flying some kind of research team that is a mix of bigots and a crew member who loves good books. <laughs> they hit some very strange turbulence. Scott automatically assumes and or deduces that is Alpha Flight gone rogue after Guardian's death. So switch to the danger room where the X-Men are uh, prepping a session when Rachel gets a migraine side flash, causing her to change the scenario to the future she came from, otherwise known as Days of Future Past. Yeah, buddy. So the X-Men are in turn getting trounced by some Sentinels until Professor X telepathically calms down Rachel who is controlling the danger room mentally. Professor X then helps her project her side flash, which shows Scott's plane crashing and a uh, bright gold Scott stumbling out of the wreckage. So, uh, Rachel then goes nuts and tracks down and attacks Alpha Flight, assuming that they're responsible for her dad's crash based on his last mental images or whatever, like his thoughts. She is thoroughly trouncing them, but Professor X schools her on the astral plane. Snowbird reveals a great quote-unquote wrongness caused the crash. So, team up! And Asgard interlude! Then Northstar and Rogue scout ahead and find a seasonal anomaly. Basically, in the middle of winter, there's this little springtime meadow. And they also see a giant fairy tale castle. Here, they meet Cyclops who can completely control his optic blast even without his ruby quartz. Scott introduces them to the fabulous council for a totally fierce, bedazzled world. Or maybe they're just LARPers. I don't know. But Madeline Pryor is now Anodyne, who heals Puck, uh, basically the movie Big Style. (laughs) She then quote-unquote cures Sasquatch and Aurora. Wolverine leads a group to find Snowbird. While they're gone, Rogue is also healed. Scott and Madeline pass Professor X's mind probe, but also they're preggers, and it's a boy. This obviously upsets Rachel, who is discovering the past has changed her into non-existence. She pulls out at her team photograph of the X-Men, only to watch them disappear. <laughs> 
Just kidding. Just a little Back to the Future joke for you there. Our heroes are taken to the magic fountain, the source of all this glitz and glamour. Heather transforms, but then Shaman is attacked by his own sack. Northstar and Aurora run his sack into the tundra, but it's too late. Shaman is dying. Oh, Jason. To be continued. <laughs> I got attacked by my own sack one time. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was pretty horrible. <laughs> so I want to say on a... If you look at, this one has a page numbers. If you have your uh, page numbers handy, if you look at page eight, I think Kitty still looks like Luann from King of the Hill. Oh, okay. I see that. <laughs> I can see that a bit, yeah. Kind of has the same, like, 80s girl mullet. Good old King of the Hill. Yeah. I guess that show rang a bit more true for you, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the rumor was, you know, because Mike Judge is from around here. Oh, yeah. So the rumor was that Garland was a, uh, I'm sorry, that Arlen was a cross between uh, Garland and Richardson, which is, I grew up in Garland and my best friend grew up in Richardson, so we had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. It's just uh, cool to have a show about kind of the city you grew up in. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun. So, um, Oh, X-Men. <clears throat> yeah, right, right. Yeah, no. But if you look <laughs> at the, uh, so Paul Smith does a pretty nice uh, team picture in the danger room. But I got to say, I hate this Rachel outfit. It's basically oh, she's God, wearing yes. like a black unitard with really big red leg warmers red goes up to the middle of her thigh yes. red leggings and just like half of her butt hanging out right. and like a ballet top on yeah it's horrible but i really like this colossus uniform and wish that was what he had that's the one that carried over from uh, secret wars yeah it kind of that's and, where he got that from i believe so because right now in Uncanny, he's got that thing that looks like an evening dress. Okay. <laughs> Where he's got like the two big straps that cover up his pecs. I like this a lot better. He looks very like, I'm ready to rumble, but I'm also kind of proud. I don't know. It's just, an, it's a nice look. So we're going to find a lot of things in this series that are kind of big reveals for the time. For example, on page 10, this is the first reference to Rachel as, in the future as a hound. Now we oh. get her backup story with that in Uncanny X-Men the next month, but this is a month early for Claremont to, to spoil that. <laughs> oh, it's the first one ever. Okay. Yeah. Right and then, um, uh-oh, we get a thing where Wolverine talks about bionic housings in his forearm. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I'm never quite sure how to take the bionic word there. What exactly yeah. does that really Yeah, I think that's mean, uh, right? Claremont confusing his original intention. <laughs> Because obviously that'll be retconned pretty pretty severely. Oh, I always forget there was a time period where a Nightcrawler led the X-Men. Yeah. And I thought I that was uh, kind of cool. Yeah, the, just uh, the biggest thing for me out of these two minis is, uh, is uh, or with Paul Smith's art in regards to it, is uh, everyone has these, like, mousy rat mouths. <laughs> I find these little mousy rat mouths and kind of pointed downward noses and gaunt emaciated sucked in cheeks yeah he does that a lot yeah yeah and just er, definitely the mouth thing though do you notice that too or i i'm looking now and i definitely see some of it yeah especially when people look down it's like their mouth shrink oh yeah like severely like i'm looking at page 15 this picture of 
Aurora in my least favorite Aurora costume ever. But that one where she's outlined in pink and she looks down, it's like her yeah. nose disappears and yeah, she gets a tiny mouth. Yeah, and Sio's uh, pointed downwards, her face is towards her chin, just a little mousy rat mouth. <laughs> right, <laughs> <Fine>. yeah. <laughs> just can't think of any other way to say it. Yeah, I just find that with all, every character it looks like to me anyways. A little takes me out of it, but yeah. I like that uh, Kitty is actually for once drawn quite realistically young looking in this these whole yes. two minis i would say i would agree with that she looks her age which i was yeah i'm happy about that so pat i got a question for you as our uh, resident canadian and our uh, secret member of alpha flight so uh at this point in time we're several years away from north star coming out of the closet i kind of feel like reading some of this and reading some old alpha flight issues that his uh, sexual preference is like the worst kept secret in comics. Did you get that feeling at all? Or am I just reading backwards? Like with the information I already know. Because I feel like uh, there's this guy in the Alpha Flight issues that like, is like his best friend, but he's more than a friend. And they kind of are very vague about it. And there's this one, there's a scene here where Rogue uh, takes his powers. She sees all his secrets. And I, just, yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious about that. So do you have any thoughts on that? Like... Uh, uh, just, uh, I think I was, I think I did a kind of like, I didn't go through finding out the natural way. Cause I think I was listening to podcasts that brought it up oh, uh, okay. before I even thought to go and read alphabet. So yeah, I didn't like read it through the natural course where I would have uh, started to pick that up. But yeah, it seems pretty, uh, pretty darn obvious. And they're right. trying to clearly, <laughs> clearly, uh, let the reader know. Yeah. Well, yeah sure. And there's a scene we'll get to in a minute too, that. That I thought was really kind of like, oh, okay, who are we kidding here? But um, <laughs> hey, do you, I I was looking at that picture of Salem Center. Would you do you think Salem Center in New York is a like a small town, by the way, or is it like a big city? All right, so Salem Center is supposed to be like this kind of little community out like several miles outside of New York City. So it's kind of like a little bit upstate, I guess. But where they can still get to uh, Manhattan uh, fairly quickly, like an hour or two, I guess. Um, Okay. So that's the way I've always understood it. So that's why there's always so much open land and stuff, because it's not in the city proper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's just always all this talk about Salem Center, and I had that shot of it. I just uh, thought I wrote it down to ask you here. Yeah. All this time I've I've uh, been into X Men, like I never really thought to even Google it or anything. Like, is is this place like a big city or what? You know, I don't let's, really know. Let's see if it's real. Let's <laughs> let's do that right now. Salem Center. The picture they had there looked like a real small, quaint little town's main street there with like a soda shop. It was kind of trying to make it look like. Okay, well, uh, dear Google, please let us know if Salem isn't real. And there is a North Salem in New York. That is a real city. Yeah, and it's a suburb of New York City. Uh, and it's in Westchester County, so it's all it's all legit. Yeah. Salem Center. The yeah. word Salem Center is a real place, huh? Well, it's actually called yeah. North Salem on the internet. But, oh, okay. But Salem Center, I guess, is their take on it. So. Huh. Thank you, Google. Amen. All right. <laughs> um, so I did think it was interesting that Logan uh, was carrying a flask around. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> He's got like a really pimpy flask too. It's like got like a gold band around it. And it made me laugh because he's smoking on a plane, which obviously you can't do anymore. I don't know. I guess you still could in 85. I don't remember. 
I liked how big the Sentinels were drawn here. Like, that's, oh yeah, in the Danger that, Room. Yeah, I yeah. like Paul Smith how, Sentinels are cool. That's how big a Sentinel in my mind, in my mind's eye, is, and how right. it should be in the movie, and how it should have been in uh, Days of Future Past. But right. Oh well, still a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it was. I liked it a lot. Uh, I I completely skipped over the fastball special, so my apologies. Oh um, yeah, yeah. That was uh, I re- my next line here is uh, that was one of the. One of the best fastball specials I'd ever say I've yeah. ever seen. That was amazing. Like at least, especially that one panel after he throws them, and they show like him in perspective, way farther away, like in the air. Right. Towards the yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was that a was... great little panel. Yeah, and uh, the whole sequence, the whole action sequence, Nightcrawler he slashes the the uh, guy, but then he's like 50 feet up in the air, so he would get hurt. But he's coming down, and uh, Nightcrawler z- grabs his hand and teleports him to the ground. Before yeah. you can pick up too much momentum. Yeah, very cool little sequence there. What do you think of the uh, our little Asgard interlude? I kind of like the black and white art of like the Shadow Council or whatever. Oh yeah, uh, it was alright. I don't remember this Loki design. I'm guessing it's probably concurrent with whatever's going on at the time, but I don't remember the the little wings on the helmet. I always remember the big like twisty horns. Yeah, not a not too in a Thor, so that's out yeah. of my realm there. Yeah, <laughs> but I would say he definitely has a mousy, ratty little mouse. Yeah. <laughs> definitely Loki does that. Remind me. Yeah, but uh, by the way, Jason, can you just like general over? Uh, what's the word like? Just a overview. Overview of like the whole story they're trying to say. Like I I couldn't tell you. I don't totally understand. Like what is Loki trying to get? <laughs> Like, do you understand? Okay. I, I don't, well, I don't. Loki is um, trying to achieve more mystical power. and I, that's, that's what he wants if he does the good deed from the bigger gods? Let's see here. Because it never actually says what the goal, what his reward is for... That's uh, true, it doesn't. He just it, says he wants it never his... never states. Yeah. He just says he wants his part of the bargain fulfilled. Yeah, and it doesn't say what it is. It's, like, it's kind of weird not to state that for... Uh, by the way, this is, this is like 35 pages each issue well, here, so like see, 70 pages an, be read, uh, and they never told us what he's trying to like achieve this entire time. Yeah, <laughs> they reference a little asterisk to Thor 353, but you're right. They don't actually tell you what the backstory is, yeah. which is so un-Chris Claremont, it's kind of uh, painful. Do you have any idea what happened at uh, 353? Nope. nope, not at all. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the little demon castle they live in though that looks pretty badass Ooh, yeah so kudos to paul smith on that but yeah they tell him to be patient uh he says he's gonna be a trickster like he always is because he's tricky yeah i don't really know to be honest what what his end game is besides yeah. trying to be nice <laughs> i guess he has some reward they don't quite clearly state to us this yeah. entire 70 pages of these two uh, <laughs> issues like it's a little weird to leave that out right right am i crazy yeah <laughs> no i agree and it, i kind of i kind of didn't care so i kind of brushed over it but you bring up a very good point yeah like i i mean it wasn't even worth thinking about too much i just assume <laughs> it i just assume it meant he got a little higher up in the god scale or he got a little more yes, power that's kind of what i'm just, thinking too. just something that wasn't even worth worrying about but yeah right. it did irk me a bit yeah, yeah. So I really like this uh, back to the X-Men on the plane. No snakes, just X-Men. I like this conversation between uh, Logan and Heather. And uh, he refers to the X-Men as his home and family. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, of course, Heather's like, why don't you come back to Alpha Flight? And he's like, nope. 
I already got a home and family with the X-Men. So I thought that was pretty cool. I like, uh, or just a bit back there, back in the mansion when uh, I like the Professor X just uh, just in his study, smoking a bowl as usual in his big pipe, just thinking, <laughs> just thinking to himself, yeah, this is crazy. I talked all these young mutant people to live in my house with me. Puff, puff, this is, this is nuts. I can't believe I pulled this off and pulling one over on them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I'm not, uh, it was a bit of a jump there how they got um, from the mansion to Canada when they attacked the Alpha Flight people. It just yeah. wasn't really uh, much of a segue. It didn't really show how they got there. It just no, all of a sudden Rachel just... was in, in that little portable hut with them. Yeah, Aurora's in her uh, nasty red jumpsuit, and then suddenly uh, Rachel's schooling them. <laughs> so I guess she flew really fast. I don't know. Yeah, then I um, guess they sh- they show the Blackbird, so I guess they flew there, but... Well, the X-Men flew after her. I mean, they don't condone this course of action, so I'm assuming they didn't fly her there. Like, she came on her own somehow. Oh, so she just left, like, the mansion in a huff that they didn't yeah. show on a page anywhere, and they just been right. chasing, up, chasing, <laughs> chasing her for, like, hours, and the right. Blackbird trying to catch up, like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, just like her mother before her, that she can probably fly pretty quick with telekinesis. But I don't think she can outrace the Blackbird. Whoa, so the whoa, only whoa. way for the X-Men to get there after her is they're like, oh, Rachel left. She was kind of mad. We should we should follow her. Oh, uh, I'm going to go grab a snack first. And um, I got to drop a deuce. And uh, you want to play Monopoly? Okay, yeah. <laughs> then we'll go get her. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, I mean, she's not North Star. I don't think tel- telekinetics can fly too fast. So they probably didn't think they needed to rush too much there. Right. I never really think telekinetics and flying, like how they levitate themselves, I never think really oh, too much speed don't. when I think about those guys. Yeah, and don't think too hard about it either. Oh, okay. <laughs> You'll get a nosebleed. <laughs> I don't really care for this big castle. It you didn't like, like a... the, the big double pager there? You yeah, mean? no, that was kind of lame looking, to be honest. Yeah, you th- when you first flip the page and your eyes like, whoa, it does that jump of you get your looking at a big splash page that you're supposed to be amazed by it but then you kind of look at it it's a little i don't know it's a little dull yeah a little, it's, little lacking in a little dinky. finer finer detail right something about it just doesn't pop like you you think it would when you it's not a it. john byrne base that's for sure yeah paul smith i find he doesn't do a lot of like small detail it just gets the broad bigger uh like sketched out thing of it yeah, yeah, you can do that sometimes, for sure. Not a lot of little finer ticks and details inside of the outline of the big thing he draws. <laughs> so, uh, another interesting point. We have our first time that Rachel meets Scott, her dad. And, of course, Cyclops is dressed like a douche. <laughs> so, I thought that was interesting. Another kind of first in this kind of one-off miniseries. Oh, Sasquatch's mighty pubes never get old. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got, a, got that little tuff of hair there just in the yeah. right spot. I <laughs> <laughs> um, wasn't quite sure why uh, Madeline was so much taller than Scott. Yeah, it's part of when she touched the fountain or drank from the fountain or whatever. Oh, yeah. Or that's true, actually. I was skimming it before we started here. And so I guess just all the humans got, like, a power boost. And right. Scott, Scott touched the uh the fountain or whatever and he didn't get like a boost he just got the ability his eyes got fixed and he doesn't doesn't have to wear the visor but he didn't like grow 
well, and actually, get, I, get a I, new power. Right. Actually, I think I think it uh, didn't affect him. I think she healed his powers. Oh, right. That's right. That's yeah. what I meant to say. Yeah. So the mutants are unaffected by the magic fountain. Yeah, it only affects the humans. Which is weird. Like how the, I don't know, that I don't care enough, but how the fountain would discern between like, oh, well, you're a regular human. Oh, you're a mutant. Okay, no powers for you. Stupid racist <laughs> fountain. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that Wolverine, like, we skipped the part, I guess, where uh, Cyclops introduced everybody to his fabulous crew, because uh, Wolverine's like, hey, Rodriguez, come with me. And I'm like, who? how does he know that guy? It also took me, and yes, I'm, I'm going to admit I'm a little slow on this one. It took me, like, a significant amount of time to realize that all these, like, douchey fake Asgardians were the team from the airplane. Oh, okay. Like right. that completely yeah. just went past me. I didn't care, and just I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's all the researchers. Oh okay. yeah. yeah, I admit, I okay, <laughs> I admit, I kind of got that. Yeah, <laughs> I see why. They... And so another, really, did we have to wait this long? On page forty, North Star kissed a girl, and he didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, they're just putting it on Front Street there now. No question now. <laughs> But of course, Rogue can, uh, she's just happy because she can kiss people without killing them. Yeah, it's a kind of cool Rogue moment, actually, in the Rogue uh, timeline. She's really happy there, and probably uh, one of the first time maybe she's uh, kissed someone without, uh, like, zapping them with their power. Right. So she's loving it there. Yeah, all right, so we have this kind of side miniseries that, honestly, I never even heard of until I started doing research for the podcast. As a kid, I had no idea this even existed. But yet, here is a reveal that will affect majorly, like, X-Men forever. I just thought it was really weird that this is a place they chose to tell us that Scott and Maddie were pregnant. Technically the first mention ever of Cable. Yeah, yeah. It's bizarre. <laughs> like, yeah, it is, it is a little if weird. If you want to eh? know the first time that Cable gets mentioned, yeah. you got to go track down X-Men and Alpha Flight number one. Mini number, limited series number Good one. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the first mention of Cable ever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, uh, oh, Rachel, you're so vain. You probably think this baby is you, don't you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, he talks about how I built this citadel. And I said, I built this citadel on rock and roll. And oh. fire fountain. Yeah, and fire fountain. <laughs> All right, well, anything else on number one you want to talk about? Oh, I just thought I really like North Star's power. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, like, I like North Star. Like, uh, you see... Super flying speed is a really cool power. Like you see a lot of uh, ground speedsters, but right. not a, not a lot of people can fly super fast. Right. Like a lot of, a lot of people can like hover and fly a little bit, but not a lot of people have super speed flying. So yeah, I just wrote down that's a cool little point. Like his power there. Yeah, I just wrote down. I liked it less as it went on. Probably my favorite part was uh, them in the plane at the start. That their art was really cool. There, really sharp and. Just them going, Scott going along and having each little individual conversation with everyone. Yeah, yeah, I like that part too. Yeah, and I liked it uh, less as it went on, I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, so um, I personally love Paul Smith, some of his weird facial things aside. And I admit that they're 
Um, you definitely have a valid point. But I still like the art quite a bit. As far as the story, man, the story, like, is really meaty. Like, there's a lot in here. And there's a lot of actually really important stuff is revealed. But I don't know if that makes the story any good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes, I agree. So, uh, when do you want to grade uh, number one? Well, I am Canadian, but I'm not, like crazy about Alpha Flight, like you might think Canadians might be have a little pride for them, but uh, you know, right. that that's it. I am, I'm happy. I'm interested when I see them pop into a story and right. I'm interested to check it out. But uh, yeah, on the downside of uh, Smith's faces make me angry. <laughs> I've got for a con there after the pro there. And uh, yeah, favorite part was in the plane and liked it a little less as it went on. And I gave it three sharp rock hard bone claws. <laughs> Out of six. Awesome. Well, I actually also gave it three out of six claws. Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah. All right. So number two, part two, the gift. All right. So the only difference in the credits is that Bob Sharon is the colorist. So uh, what do we have on this uh, wraparound cover, Pat? So, uh, yeah, number two, the second cover is really cool. It's got a Loki... Uh, strangling Madeline holding her off the ground with one one arm and a Sasquatch on the ground Cyclops Professor X Puck and a Nightcrawler lying in the grass oh and Colossus way over there in the corner and on the back part of the cover is probably even cooler than the front got uh, two big snow giants I think they're a thing from Thor Thor yeah. world yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah but they're cool they're cool looking uh, yeah, I'm done yeah. with giants giants make me happy I like that <laughs> I like them guys big red bushy mustache yeah, <laughs> what's with that? <laughs> no, I agree. I think I think the second or the back side of this cover is pretty uh pretty cool. Yeah. And it says the Lord of Lies is going to save the world if he has to kill the X Men and Alpha Flight to do it. It is billed as the fight of the century. What do you, what do you think of that? Is this the fight of the century for you, Pat? Uh. uh... Maybe not. <laughs> it's it's good though. I like uh, this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to give away my rating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what happens in number two? Okay. What happens in number two? Let's see here. So Rachel is freaking out that Cable is in Madeline, not her. She runs in a cave, and in brackets that means that Rachel didn't get sent back to her past, which was her intention. She got sent back to an alternative past, I guess. And Kitty runs after her. Beth, or that's Talisman, uh, Shaman's uh, daughter. And Beth is told by her dad to follow and gather intel. Kitty finds Talisman first. They find uh, some Viking Thor-related stuff, <laughs> little uh, trinkets that's starting to kind of hint the reader what's going on here. Right. Uh, they find Rachel, finally. And Kitty talks her down from a, a literal hill uh, <laughs> while the cave is collapsing. I'm not sure... What makes the cave start collapsing? It actually never really says. And uh, Rachel's beam uh, through the wall was really cool. I just wrote. Kitty, Elizabeth get to the large open middle uh, chasm area of this big, really cool drawn chasm. And uh, Kitty goes back for Rachel. When they're back in the middle of chasm area, they brush against the vertical uh, fountain beam thing and get blasted <laughs> away against into the side of the cave. Uh, they realize the price of the fire fountain's effect is losing ability to create and come up with new ideas, and everyone else is lounging it up, feasting back in the hall, and uh, Kitty spies Maddie kind of slinking off to heal Zap uh, Wolverine on a bed. 
uh, Wolverine argues that it was a good thing, actually, and uh, she was making the crazy side of him go away. And uh, when asked, he answers that he was out looking for Snowbird, then blinks and can't remember how he got back here and how he came to be lying in the bed just now. And Wolverine sets back up to go go back outside and find Snowbird. First, though, he sees just down and dirty prison sex style monster orgy <laughs> <laughs> which just looks savage to me that's what i wrote down for that that me and uh finds snowbird but there are other characters confronting him saying he has to uh saying to leave her to die rogues all over the uh north star although i don't think he wants what rogue uh has to offer <laughs> and uh loki's pissed off their Start, he's starting to get pissed off that they're questioning his gift that he's given them. Uh, Wolverine bursts into a door in the big hall where they're all lounging about and feasting and carrying in one of the opposition guys that wanted him to leave uh, Snowbird in the cave. And, uh, yeah, carrying him and also carrying a sled that has Snowbird in it, uh, Half-Alive Snowbird, and everyone starts arguing, arguing over this gift and philosophizing about it. A big old Donnybrook breaks out everyone (laughs) (laughs) everyone teams up everyone kind of picks a side they team up and take a side on the matter whether this gift is good or not loki's had it and it finally appears they argue snow giants appear fighting 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 i wrote down loki takes the power back from them and uh, a giant is about to club Maddie, but the, um, the airplane cargo guy pushes her out of the way and just gets walloped like a home run ball out, yeah. up into the air. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you think, would just, uh, you know, kill him? Turn, turn him into mush immediately. Right. But anyway, this is a comic book. Maddie gets to him barely alive, crying that she can't heal him because she, she doesn't have her healing power anymore. She has to uh, accept her powers back from Loki, heals him. After reluctantly accepting her power back, Loki goes full douche and throws a pregnant lady to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) But still, everyone rejects his gift. He's about to lose on them, but the bigger gods finally appear and tell him the contest uh, slash application is denied or whatever. And they're at the end of this comic, they're getting on the plane to leave, but Rachel is missing, they realize, and she's not aboard. Psych goes to find her. They talk and kind of have a few bonding, pretty lame pages. Each doesn't tell him or her that uh, about how she's her daughter, but she suspects he knows. And that's it. Whew. Wow. All right. So back to page one. Let's go all the way back to the front. Talisman talks about her keen new costume. I just want to say, nope, it sucks. Yeah. And I like and the word using the word keen sucks also. Yeah, she has her little <laughs> Robin pixie boots, and I just uh. yowzers, wowzers. Hey, did you know you can get a PhD in weird physics? <laughs> oh, is that what she has? That's what Kitty says. Kitty says that her majors are computer science, which is a real degree, and weird physics. Uh. Not. Not physics, not astrophysics, not any other kind of physics. Weird physics. Yeah, weird physics. Yeah, you know, that's I, the, we the, we all know about weird physics in Canada. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, you know. Oh man. I uh, uh, wrote down here that Rachel's face causes me pain. She looks like a horse. Oh, she looks horrible. Or, uh, what's the what's the Sarah Jessica Parker? She has a Sarah. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, if you watch Family Guy, that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just drawn. She's drawn so strangely these entire 70 pages of these two comics. She just looks like 
Right. Uh, like a 40 year she looks like a 40 year old lesbian to me I'm not gonna lie <laughs> okay but on the contrary I do like the way he draws Logan you like Logan yeah it's alright yeah so Logan gets uh, neutered and offended so oh. he loses his rage and then Kitty offends him okay yeah yeah <laughs> yeah because Logan's like you saying girl I can't hack it as a man only as a psycho she took away all my anger it's a good thing why can't you understand it's <laughs> right. a good thing <laughs> And Kenny's like, but your anger saved my life. Seeing I can't hack it as a man, Kitty. (laughs) Oh, shit. He's got that look in his eye. I'm getting out of here. Right. He's going to stab me, stab me, me. He's going (laughs) to stab me again. Oh, he's with the stabbing, Wolverine. Solve all your problems with that. But then I really like the next page where it kind of goes from, so you have like the side of Wolverine's head in the shadow, and then like his figure turns from shadow to light, and we get a snicked. And he talks about how he's not any less dangerous, that he still has all his instinct, all his cunning, all his ability, that maybe he's not berserker, but he's still badass. So I thought that was a really cool little sequence. And plus the art, I thought, just looked really cool and the color work. Back a couple pages when uh, Rachel and them are escaping and they brush against, I guess that's what happens, they kind of just brush against the fountain. Yeah. I don't know why they would get so close to it, but uh, they brush against it and just the shot of the panel of them being implanted into the side, like, four, <laughs> like, like just cartoonishly, like yes, six it's, feet it's deep. so Looney Tunes. Yeah, just the shit perfect outline of their body, like six <laughs> feet deep into the side of the wall, and they never really, <laughs> just they're, just the next panel, they're okay. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, normally they kind of keep it in the semi-realm uh, of believability and realistic, but they just went a little cartoonish there, I have right. to say. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, <laughs> Rachel threw up a TK shield and Talisman used her magic. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. they're perfectly fine. That is weird. Yeah. And I didn't even notice. I'm glad you pointed it out and made me go look again. I didn't even notice the monster orgy until you said that. But it totally is what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, okay. I don't know if you can hear my mouse wheel furiously scrolling to get to the page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see that page? See that page? It just like just looks like a down and dirty like. It does, and I completely just kind of skipped scene. over like, it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> but this whole sequence of that whole, I love every panel on page thirteen. You have a Wolverine like skiing down the mountain or skidding yeah. down the mountain in the snow, and yep. he looks around, he sees the monster, he, you see a shadow coming in the cave, you yeah, have a disgusting snowbird. Snowbird looks so cool. That's yeah. the one, eh? Yeah. That panel of, of them in the shadow, of him like helping oh, yeah. her, is a yeah. fantastic panel. It's so great. Yeah. The shadow on her face, they don't really use shadows as much as they could back in this era. Right, yeah. No, I totally, this whole page, I'd love to just have this on my wall. Yeah, and just um, the bottom left one of uh, Snowbird just looking pretty darn rough there. Yeah, yeah. It's quite, quite the drawing. You really almost stirs up a little feeling bad for her. And then on the next page, we have the awesome panel of uh, Lockheed. After he shoots fire, he's perched on Wolverine's hand. I love that panel. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, that'll yeah. probably be the uh, image for the episode. Oh, yeah. Because it's a nice, nice big square I can use. <laughs> oh, Jason, I would uh, recommend using something from the, the next time we see Wolverine, actually. Oh, yeah? E- even better, I'd say. Let's see. Let me... Oh, when he comes in with no shirt on? Uh, yeah. Should we skip ahead here, or...? Oh, okay. Well, uh, you kind of mentioned it, but I thought it was funny that, uh, of course, Northstar did not want to dance with Rogue. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or... I wonder why. And then, uh, 
we have Wolverine party pooper. He comes in. So yeah, he comes into the hallway uh, or their great uh, banquet hall, and he's got he's got a carcass. He drops him off, takes a big swig of wine or mead or whatever they're <laughs> drinking there. He's got blood running down his throat, wine inside his throat. He's uh he's being rough and tumble. Oh yeah, even if you don't. We don't uh, strike up the urge any listeners to check out this whole uh, these whole two comics. Uh, check out these couple of pages. Just I'd yeah. say I'd say this is easily. Uh, where, where is it here? I got something. To... We're on nineteen and twenty. When he comes in the door there, I mean, I just wrote down. Could that be any more of a badass entrance into the hall there? Oh yeah, it's pretty great. I just wish it was. Uh... So you have a digital copy, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's restored. The only complaint I have about that panel is the color is a little muddy. On the... In, in my comic and not quite in the line. So Wolverine's entrance is a little hard to see. Is yeah, it cleaned up on the digital copy? On the digital copy, uh, him and the bodies carrying and Lockheed are all just... Uh, they're red, yeah. I call, I call it like lazy coloring when they just hue, they just color it, hue it over with like just one solid color. And it's right. all just red. Is that yeah. what you have too? Yeah. Yeah, but okay. it's not really like it doesn't really stay in the lines in in mine. So I don't know if it just printed a little off, but it is it's kind of hard to tell what's going on. Okay, right, yeah, but yeah, just if there was, I mean, come on, if there was ever a list of uh, the top Wolverine, just like badass tough guy moments, right? Like, I mean, come on, this should be on there, I'd say. No? Yeah, well, I mean, he kicks yeah. open a giant like. 50 foot tall wooden door <laughs> just boots open this door yeah he's got a he... body over his shoulders and a dragon following him around what else do you want <laughs> yeah and he so he, all listeners all all you see first he's just got a he's all cut up and bloody and shirtless and he's hairy and he's dragging yeah. and, and he's got a body over his shoulders first and you don't see what else he has so yeah. he just chucks that on the table he's like he chucks that guy down like here you go. I found this guy or whatever, and he takes a big chug of right. <laughs> takes a big chug of wine, slashes off his uh, the strings across his chest to show that he also has another person with him. Right. And he was also on top of that, like I just imagine how tough it was to get like to trek his way from where he was outside to the door, right? Yeah. That's what they're trying to get across. How right, yeah. From all the way from the mountainside. Yeah, he dragged her yeah. the whole way. Yeah, so and then, is, he also has Snowbird and a sled behind him yeah. uh, wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah, so he had another person he was carrying also from miles and miles or whatever away here, right? Yeah, and then to be even more badass, he's got this big cut on his forehead and he just pours alcohol on it. <laughs> like, oh, that's, that stings. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, let's go. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a big highlight. Yeah, and then he starts two, bitching at everybody, like telling them what what fools they are. I just this whole part of Wolverine, I love. Oh yeah, I see why you picked this for the for us to read here. By the way, yeah. yeah. And Kitty tells Colossus that uh, Eliana will die, and and he still picks that side. I wrote uh, question yeah. mark exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, Colossus is. He's not very good in many in. Uh, non-X-Men books. He was terrible in Secret Wars. He makes the wrong decision in this miniseries. He's poor, poor Colossus. <laughs> I, I not think good. I not draw good. I just punch. <laughs> <laughs> I love also the panel of Wolverine standing up to this giant. Oh, right, yeah. That's a great panel, too. 
So uh, I, ju- I just one of my points I wrote down there, Jason. I thought it was like a rare story narrative you don't usually see. They're not normally uh, having stories like talking about how there's an architect and he's anguished because he can't uh, come up with new designs. Just yeah. thought that was just thought it was a bit of a, a rare story narrative you don't usually uh, talk about X Men. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Uh, kind of <laughs> everybody's gifts are like. And so basically, what we find out at, at the end is that. By getting these gifts, they lost their creativity. I'm sorry, they lost their creativity or their creative soul. They had to trade like a piece of themselves to get these new powers or whatever. And that's where kind of the, the conflict comes in. It's kind of hard to get your head around. Can you like kind of clearly, Are you? I don't think I can. Can you clearly say what's happening? Like, so they got the gift from Loki. They got a gift from Loki, but in return, they had to give up some of what they were. And that's where the gods come in at the end. They're like, no, you didn't really give them anything. Like, you weren't really doing a good deed. You were taking stuff away. You were still trying to trick people. And that's why you're denied. Denied, stamp. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I wonder if Madeline, being a god for a while, like, had any effect on Cable in her... Uh, I don't something. know. That's that's an interesting you know? point. I've never yeah. really heard that <laughs> talked about before. Yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting little thing to null over there. All right, so anything in all this fighting you want to point out specifically? I mean, just kind of generic battle stuff. Uh, let me check my notes here. Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay. The only thing I wanted to point out, and there's a part where uh, Cyclops talks about um, Wolverine's body count. Wolverine says, Yo, psych! This is getting us nowhere, bub. Um, and Cyclops says, you eager to add to your body count, mister? So I just thought that was kind of cool. Just because we don't really, at this point in history, we don't ever really get to see Wolverine kill people. We just hear them talk about it. <laughs> or actually, speaking of that, when he came back, when he uh, had that really cool moment when he burst in the door there. Yeah. He, we... he, he says he killed one of the other people. He threw the one guy down, but he says, and someone asks, like, where's the other guy? He's like, he wasn't so lucky or something. So he says, he said, fly, he's, he goes, flying with the angels. Go, yeah, go. So, yeah, so, he's, so it he's kind saying, of he's saying that, he, killed, he killed them, right? Yeah, or at least the possibility of it, for sure. Yeah, so he's de- right, he's right definitely there. dead. <laughs> yeah, true. I guess you could take it that way, but yeah. Or you could take it the other way, yeah. Like a, so a couple pages just earlier, he's basically saying he just uh, killed someone. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Then our snow giants show up. Uh, Rogue tries to... Here, I think the art starts kind of going downhill. Yeah, I think I'd agree um, with that. Right although, about... the, although the giants are pretty cool looking. Yeah, they are. But I like, like when they first uh, pop their heads out of the snow in the mountain. But yeah, yeah. the detail, the detailing is definitely starting to get a little light. Yeah, definitely. And then Rogue tries to steal Loki's power, but of course that backfires. Oh, and... uh. Yeah, by the way, Northstar quits Alpha Flight. He says, if my sister's not going to play with me, I'm going home. I guess so. <laughs> so you said it was kind of lame. I thought the last scene between Scott and Rachel was probably my favorite part. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, okay. I just liked how, like, I don't know, it, it, it rang true to me, kind of the emotional conflict between the two and the way they talk to each other. And Yeah, yeah I don't know. But I, I kind of like that part. So. Fair enough, fair enough. Anything else on number two you want to hit? Uh, yeah, I got a couple of last points. I, uh, so, um, 
Okay, this is going to say something bad about what you just said. <laughs> That's, That's cool. fine. Go for it. We can all think our own things. The but art, anyways, my the ne- art my on those pages, FYI, is terrible. Oh, yeah. But anyways, my next point I would have read before you said that is, uh, yeah, the whole thing with Rach not wanting to tell Scott and being in hysterics about it, like, ever since she first appeared in Uncanny. Right. Like, I don't know. What's the big deal? I don't really, I never really got that. Just tell him. <laughs> Well, I guess she's worried that she'll change the time stream or something or that. And she's also worried that like, well, this isn't like I don't belong here anymore. Like they're having a different baby. It's not me It's a boy. I don't think I used to be a boy. So it must be somebody else. (laughs) Um, So I guess kind of the whole, will they believe me? Like if I say, hey, I'm your firstborn daughter. Oh, wait, this baby has a penis. (laughs) Yeah, but they like keep. She keeps like having the same kind of freak out about not wanting to tell them like right. every every uncanny issue. And yes. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know. Just just tell them. I'm tired of reading this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It doesn't really ring true to me. I don't really totally understand her motivation for not wanting to tell them. Never really. They never really spelled out that interestingly why or anything. All right. That's fair enough. And uh, isn't Madeline supposed to ha- to supposed to be an identical twin of Jean? Well, yes, but they talk about that because the first time Rachel saw her, she was like, oh, whoa. And Scott even says, whoa, 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 whoa. Rachel looks like very familiar. And I don't know if you remember or not, but the first time Rachel showed up, she called Cyclops' number from the X Mansion and Madeline answered and she thought it was her mom. Oh, okay, right. Like, I don't quite remember like right even now. Their, yeah. Even their voices are the same. So, so there's but more re- kind of intrigue on. What we'll eventually we'll find out about Madeline Pryor. So they're supposed to be identical, but I feel like when they even here's a little uh, different case because it's Paul Smith. But even in the Young Kennys, I feel like they never draw Madeline to look like an identical twin. She always looks quite different to me. Really? Okay. I guess the the main difference to me is just the hair. I yeah. Think that... She always has the middle the middle part, you know, right. hanging over hanging over the face to the chin. She always has that that big, thick red wig thing going on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess to me, that kind of makes sense, because if it was exactly the same, I don't think Scott would still play along. And of course, we'll find out later where Madeline comes from, and I think there may be reasons there that the origin of her might warrant some small minor differences, and so... That's true. Yeah, I guess they couldn't draw her exactly the same because Scott had to like kind of think she was a different person enough to right. want to date her, right? That's what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. True, true, that's true. I uh, wrote down, uh, why doesn't the Professor X just mentally tell Rachel to get on the plane? <laughs> well, it's because Scott wanted to go find her. He's trying to be a good leader, even yeah. though he's not the leader anymore, but whatever. I, I mean, if we're going to be on that point, I still don't get why Professor X doesn't, doesn't just mind wipe everyone like an issue number two, <laughs> 1963 number two, and every battle's always over in two seconds. There's never a question of who's going to win. Right. So every issue when they like takes a long time to beat the bad guy and whatnot. I'm always just thinking, why doesn't he just do that? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess he learned his lesson. I don't know. Hey, hey, Jason, was there, do you think there was ever, or was there ever an alternative timeline story showing Gene giving birth to Rachel? Like, not showing, showing, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a panel where she crowned. Um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> no, um, well, so in a... No, I guess not. I'm trying to think. I don't want to say that because I could be wrong. Yeah, I wrote that down. I thought that was a good question. Might stump you because, like, when you think about it, 
they've never really shown that, right? Right. And we don't see it in her future because Jean is dead. In the Age of Apocalypse future where Jean is alive, Rachel doesn't exist, right? Yeah, there's... Oh, yeah, there's no... The word Rachel is never mentioned. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, wrote that down. I was thinking, like, they never... Has there ever been a story, you know, when they show, like, Jean? No, there's not. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There can be. Someone else can uh, tweet or get on Facebook and correct us. But yeah, I can't please. I can't remember one. So, I don't know. Fair enough. So, let me get this straight. Everyone got held up at the end in the plane there when Rachel wasn't on and she was traveling behind. They even stated the storm could have killed them any moment. And uh, after a couple pages of Psych and Rachel talking, we finally get the reveal of what she was doing, why she was on the plane. It was to make, like, uh, I don't know, like a telekinetic rose or something, yeah. like a, a literal physical rose on the ground. That's what she was holding. Everyone up that could have been killed by the storm there every, any second now. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that Stop rose is, is damn important. It is? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you had something there. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm not even real sure how it ties into the symbolism of the story. I mean, it talks about like, they're leaving this place in desolation. It's all in ruins, except a rose. Yeah, they just they just needed a reason for Psyche and Rach to have a couple of pages of them kind of talking and bonding. Right. That was the reason. I mean, she wanted to make a, a telekinetic rose and plant it and leave it on the ground. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we get our our Claremont thesis at the end. Um, this whole story is a reminder that humanity alone carries within itself the power to create paradise on earth on its own terms by its own efforts without the gifts or machinations of greedy gods which for better or worse is how it should be <laughs> it's not that it's wrong it just comes out of nowhere oh yeah yeah <laughs> but Fairmont, well we all know he was getting paid by the word yeah obviously yeah yeah if he wasn't, he was doing it all wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, so what do you think of the art in this, this second issue overall? The art in the second issue overall? Oh, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, just the yeah. just the things I said about Paul Smith. Kind of doesn't do a lot of, like, uh, finer detailing inside of the outlines of the thing he draws. But it, some pretty fantastical, fun images here, for sure. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought it was pretty great until the last few pages, and I thought it went pretty sour, kind yeah. of out of nowhere. I don't know if he just ran out of time or what, but um. Oh, I know what you mean. When they're like the second, let's see here, it's not the page with the rose on it, but the page right before that, when they're showing Rachel and the top right panel walking, her proportions with her thighs and her head just are absurd. <laughs> yeah. Same with Psych, too, beside her there. And uh, the next bottom or lower or middle left panel, Psych's uh, head looks pretty weird there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, uh, even yeah. as far back, like, there's a panel of Rogue earlier on page 32, I think is kind of, for me, where it starts. With the exception of the scene with Loki and Madeline, which I thought was okay. But yeah, the, about the middle of the, the snow giant fight is about where I kind of start falling off a little bit. I can definitely see that too, yeah. All right, well, so what did you think of the story? Like, I thought the whole mini 
is a great, far-out, fantastical concept, what was going on, which I'm all for, to a point, except for, like, me not liking, like, medieval magic stuff, not that much, <laughs> like I said uh, earlier. It's just, I know I would have liked it even more if someone else was drawing it. Okay. To be honest, this whole thing, I'm not crazy about Paul Smith and his, uh, uh, so his we're on, we're on little, sides of that fence. little mousy mouths. Just uh, <laughs> take take me out of it, and I want. I it's uh, again, it's a really cool concept, and uh, right. and not that I didn't like it. I just I keep thinking in the back of my head. I know I know I would have liked it even better if uh, someone else was drawing it. I wrote it down there. Yeah. yeah. To answer your question, yeah. Well, I actually uh, I like Paul Smith quite a bit in general. Um, we, but we talked enough about kind of the this particular issue. Um, I actually thought the story overall was kind of lame. I don't really care about the Magic Fountain or Loki's deal. And I really kind of hated the uh, Norse god uh, douche ex machina where they just kind of come in at the end and be like, oh, let's save you, save you. Okay, stop this. All right, all right, everything's done. Yeah. Everybody go home. All right, that, that drove me nuts. But we kind of had opposite feelings. I really liked the conversation between Rachel and Scott. So all that to say, um, I'm going to give X-Men and Alpha Flight number two, three out of six claws. What do you got? Oh, sounding pretty positive there. I thought it was going to be uh, one higher, no? No, no. Just, uh, just three right. for me. Three claws. All right. Yeah. So uh, just uh, what I said there before and uh, the uh, start of it, number start of number two with Kitty and Talisman and Rachel like off in the cave by themselves, I'd say, and with Kitty holding her breath and phasing through the collapsing rocks. That was probably my favorite part of the whole story. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought that was really great. And uh, yeah, and I would give this one uh, four adamantium claws. Cool. Well, uh, that's that's our series. That's uh, X-Men and Alpha Flight, the two-issue limited series. Okay, so real quick, want to give you a little... Uh, Give you guys a little bonus material, kind of tie up some loose ends from that uh, Wraith storyline from 187 we did. have three issues of ROM I wanted to talk to you about real fast. That's ROM Space Knight, number 62, 65, and 66. Number 62 is Truth or Consequences, written by Bill Mantlo, art by Steve Ditko, Ian Aiken, and Brian Garvey, letters by Janice Chang, Colors by Glennis Ween. And the cover is by Mike Zek. And it's not that great. Um, it's Rom standing with Forge somewhere looking through binoculars. And in the binoculars he has some goblins and pterodactyls attacking the fair citizens of Dallas, Texas. What? what? Um, of course in the letterbox we have Rom with his laser nipples as usual. Eh, it's whatever. So, basically, Forge doesn't want to make any more weapons to fight the Dire Race because uh, Gyrich stole his previous weapon and used it to destroy Storm. But Rom goes to appeal to Forge, if you don't want to do this to help the government, don't trust the government, but protect your planet, protect your fellow humans. They have a philosophical debate that is uh, ended when the race attack the people of Dallas and Forge and Rom go to join the fight. The only thing I have to say about the art, besides not really caring about Rom that much, is that he has space mittens. No fingers in this issue. Just a thumb and big hands. Really weird. So as far as the story, uh, the Forge part's kind of cool. The race and their plan for uh, world domination are stupid. And uh, art-wise, 80s Steve Ditko is not bad. Besides the space mittens. That's an alright, alright book. 
I'm going to give Rob 62, 3 out of 6 claws. So next up, we have Rob 65. I believe this is mostly the same team here. Uh, Bill Mantlow, Steve Ditko. Oh, and P. Craig Russell helps with the art. Janice Chang does the letters again. This time, Petras Gautiz does the colors. This is Doomsday. This cover is by Steve Lay Oloha. And it's Rom kind of flying around. And we have heroes, including Wolverine, fighting the Dire Race. It's not bad. So the Dire Race have uh, cursed the sun. So it's uh, to basically pull their planet through the sun so it can replace Earth. And then it can be a new Wraith world. They froze Rom with bad art. I mean magic. To prevent him from joining Forge on a giant can of Space Raid that shoots all the race and kills them. But um, all of Earth's heroes, including Wolverine, arrive to turn the tide. Rom flees to the Space Laser and powers it with his little gun as they blast away Wraith World and all their dark magic. The story made me roll my eyes. The art is terrible. It's the same Steve Ditko from issue 62, but it's gut-wrenchingly horrible. It's garbage. I don't know what happened. Pathetic. Anyway, I give ROM number 65 one out of six claws. So let's go to 66. This is the day after. Uh, Bill Mantlow does the story. Steve Ditko and Steve Lealoha did the art. Janice Chang still doing the letters. Patris Gautiz doing the colors. And this cover, last time, P. Craig Russell did helped with the art. And Lealoha did the cover. This time, Lealoha is helping with the art. And P. Craig Russell did the cover. And it's Rom flying through space with all the heroes' heads in black and white. Including Wolverine. It's not bad. So in the aftermath of the battle with the race, Wolverine suggests killing them. But Rom sends them to limbo with his little gun as he does. Blah, blah, blah. Rom leaves Earth to travel the spaceways. Story, who cares? Art, not as bad as 65 and not good at all, except for the final two-page spread. In which I gotta say, I also have ROM 67 that I got in the same lot when I bought these for like a dollar on eBay. Uh, for like five or six issues of ROM. And so combining this last double-page spread with the art from 67 is like great Steve Ditko art. So I feel like he was doing those and then giving us lazy art on 65 and the rest of 66. Which makes no sense because this is like the climax and wrap up and epilogue of like Rom's whole major story that's been like his whole comic this whole time. So why these two issues aren't the best two art issues, I don't get what happened there. But they're not. Um, And I'm going to give Rom 66 one out of six claws. Anyway, I just wanted to let y'all know since Wolverine, um, his head was in 62. And he was barely in 65, and he had a line in 66. So I wanted to bring it up because it's a Wolverine appearance, but also to let you know, since the Dyer race fought the X-Men in the first issue we talked about, this is what happens to them. They all get sent to limbo with a laser. Yep, not making it up. Thank you, Bill Mantlow. All right, well, that's uh, that's three issues of ROM for the price of none. Or one. I don't know. Whatever you want. Alright, so that's going to do it for this episode. Well, Pat, man, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was good to finally get you on here. Oh, this is just uh, really a thrill, Jason. Thanks a lot for having me on, you know. It's just, uh, I, can say, I can say for now on I was always on a podcast because I listen to them all the time. And just, you know, it's like a check on the bucket list. 
Yeah, I can finally say I was on. I was on a podcast. That's right. <laughs> so cool. It's so cool, man. That's yeah, awesome. Well, I'm glad. To everyone. Well, while you're here, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything going on you want people to know about? Maybe people know me from the uh, Uncanny X X Cast page. Pat Weapon X Gunter. I'm always putting those. I like to think, uh, you know, those world famous comic collages. <laughs> I love those. I'm always making, I'm yeah. always making in the uh, Windows Paint program. <laughs> just a just a fun. Is that how you do that? Yeah, ah, it's just a little, it's little peek just, behind the curtain. Nice. Literally just the Windows uh, Paint program. <laughs> it's just a fun little nerdy weekend hobby. Right. Yeah, and I, I just have fun making them, even though if I don't get too many likes on them in there. But uh, yeah, I get all <laughs> my comics from, uh, to be honest, I didn't grow up with comic book stores, and I get all my comics from uh, Torrance, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe you could say I feel a little guilty not supporting the uh, local comic book stores, and uh, maybe that's my way of giving back i like making those just <laughs> hopefully it gives people a smile on all the uh x podcast sites right just a fun little hobby of mine yeah. yeah so i'm that guy on the uncanny x cast site always posting those cool are, are you still doing skate videos oh yeah just yeah. that one uh if you look it up on youtube it's called uh pat versus byron and it's on there yeah but cool. yeah nothing uh too much plug just uh just a normal guy not a not an ex uh, podcast host or anything. Right. But yeah. Thanks again for having me on, man. This is yeah, great. I appreciate it. All right. Well, guys, uh, like usual, uh, please uh, leave an iTunes review if you want. Uh, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snipcast. Uh, show notes and stuff are snipcast.podbean.com. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye. Bye.